So what are your two favorite words? What are, what are your two favorite words? Maybe it's carpe diem. Maybe it's hakuna matata. Maybe it's keep calm or inhale, exhale. Maybe your favorite two words are work hard or, or be kind or, or thank you or, or call me, you know. Maybe your favorite two words are game on or maybe it's Christmas break or spring break or summer break or other, some other kind of break. Those are your favorite two words. Maybe your, your favorite two words are, are free sample, you know. You're heading to Costco and Sam's today, hoping to get some, right? Maybe your favorite two words are hot coffee or apple pie or fresh bacon, you know. There's, there's a lot of good t- two words out there, right? Or as famous boxing trainer Lou Duva once said about boxing, you can sum up this sport with two words, you never know. Three words. In 2002, the Las Vegas Visitors Authority developed a new slogan to attract visitors at that time. The slogan goes like this, what happens here stays here. It's become a little bit of a famous slogan. It's also become synonymous with the the kind of scary notion of, hey, you can do whatever you want to, there's, there's no consequences. Well, the Las Vegas Visitors Authority supposedly is going to be changing two words in the slogan and, and reworking it a little bit. And the new slogan is going to read like this, what happens here only happens here. The marketing idea behind that is, hey, you know what, the best of the best is going to be in Vegas. That's why you want to come to Vegas, you know. The, the best sports, the best entertainment, the best food, the best shopping is all going to be in Vegas. That's, that's the idea behind it. But sadly, bless their heart, neither one of their slogans is true. I mean, the new slogan's not true. I mean, the best entertainment in the world is the Christmas program at a preschool. I mean, there's, there's not even a contest, you know. There is no entertainment better than that. Ours is coming up at the end of the year. Come on back. You'll see it. It'll be great. The best food is probably the rib roast at your mom's house, or maybe the, the plate of skillet fried fat back at your grandmother's house. I was the only one? Man. Gosh. I, mean, I can taste it right now. That's fantastic. And I live with, and I know, and I research shoppers. And anywhere in the world, a true shopper knows that the best place to shop is the next store that you go into. You know, there's just no stopping. Just let's just keep going. Let's just keep shopping. So it's not in Vegas. It's, it's pretty much anywhere. And all of us know that the best sports, they're not in Vegas. The best sports is a five-year-old boys t-ball game. Okay. Or maybe a six-year-old girls soccer game. If you've never been, go. They're amazing. Best sports you'll ever see. The best is not in Vegas. Sadly, the old slogan won't work either. Why? Because what happens there will not stay there. No matter what city you are in, the consequences of anything that you do will follow you. Well, how how do we know that's true? Well, there's two words in the Bible that can help us answer that question. And they come from the psalmist. Psalm chapter 1, verse 4. The wicked are not so. Those are the two words right there, not 
so. So who are the wicked and why are they not so? What is this about? Well, to understand that, we've got to back up to the previous sentences. I'm going to start back in, in verse 1 of Psalm 1. It goes like this. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Verse 3, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Happy and blessed and fortunate and satisfied and content is the person who refuses to arrange and rearrange their life around the advice of people who disregard God and God's ways. Happy and blessed and fortunate and content and satisfied is the person who who refuses to submit to and engage in activities in their life constantly that disregard God and God's ways. Happy and content and blessed and fortunate and satisfied is the person who refuses to join in with people who mock or criticize God or God's ways when things don't work out the way that they thought they should work out. Rather, happy and blessed and fortunate, content and satisfied is the person who delights in the truth of God. Happy and and blessed is that person who does not look at the Bible as some, some old worthless book that's out of date, but looks at the Bible and sees within the truth there life. They, they look at the Bible and they say, what I'm, what I'm finding from this book, it is sweeter than honey. It's, it's finer than gold. And that person, the person that loves the truth of God, that person will, will be like a tree planted by streams of water. In other words, their heart will get the love that it longs for the most. Their mind will get the comfort that it longs for the most. And their soul will get the hope that it longs for the most. But not so with the wicked. No true love, no true comfort, no true hope. The wicked will not have any of that. This transition by the psalmist feels kind of strong, right? I mean, he goes from, from blessed and happy to not so. It's, it's a big shift. How many of you ever seen the original uh, Willy Wonka and the, Ch- and the Chocolate Factory? The, the first one, not, not, the, not the newest one, but the old one. Were you like me in that scene toward the very end when Wonka and, and Grandpa were talking? You remember that scene? This is what Wonka said. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. I was terrified. I mean, I was like, what just happened in this movie? I did not see that coming. This, this is Willy Wonka, and he just, he just lost it. And I was hoping for the Oompa Loompas to come out and sing a happy song like right then. I was like, I need this to change right now. There, there was a shift. It was strong. And it, and it caught your attention. The psalmist is kind of doing the same thing here. There's a shift here. 
And the shift is clear, but, but this is not a movie. This, this is the truth of the one true God who created and sustained the entire universe. This is the answer of the only God who was and is and is to come. This is the answer from, from the only God who is holy, holy, holy. There is no one besides him. And in his holiness, he is unswervingly just. Now, generally speaking, most people don't like the idea of God being unswervingly just. It makes us a little uncomfortable. Because we think, hey, man, I just need a God that's all love, you know? Because, hey, all we need is love. But in our hearts, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't really believe that. No, in our hearts, if we're honest, we want to know there is some sense of div divine authority and divine justice. We, we want it there. To borrow from another movie in the courtroom scene of A Few Good Men, a character known as Colonel Nathan Jessup, he defended himself with this line, you don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Now, I am not saying that God is like Colonel Jessup, all right? Don't go tweet that anywhere, all right? That's not what I'm saying. But the principle is very similar. We may mock it, we may fight it, we may reject it, we may ignore it, but we need the mercy of God, and we need the love of God, and we need the kindness of God. We need the patience of God. We need the forbearance of God. We need the sovereignty of God, because without all of those things, we are completely lost and helpless and without hope in this world and in the world to come. We need Him, even if we don't know it. The wicked may have some fun in this life, sure, they might. But soon and, and very soon, they will not be blessed and fortunate and happy and content and satisfied. The wicked may have some, some nice things in this life. They may have some good times, but they will not be planted by streams of living water. On October 16th, 1987, a, a hurricane slammed against the south of England, 15 million trees were knocked down. 15 million trees were knocked down. One of those trees affected by the storm was known as Turner's Oak. It was in the few gardens in London. Before the storm came, the, the caretakers had known that, that this particular oak had been unwell for, for some time. When the storm came through, it completely lifted Turner's oak out of the ground, root plate and all, and then, and then set it back down, and it was just kind of leaning over a little bit. The Kew Gardens was a disaster zone of, of fallen trees, and, and they began to, to try to cut them down and, and remove them and clear up the damage, but it, it was a long, long process. It was three years before they got around to dealing with the Turner's oak, and when they got over to the oak, they were shocked to see that the tree was alive 
and flourishing. Tony Kirkham is the head of the Arboretum at Kew Gardens, and this past week, in an interview, he described what happened to Turner's Oak. This is what he said. On that night, nature picked the tree up out of the ground, shook the roots back in, and then lots of porosity in the soil so that the oxygen could get back down to the roots and then any water. Now, I'm no arboriculturist or arboriculturist. That's a real thing. I looked it up, but I said it wrong. But I think what he's saying is this, that the roots of that tree were getting suffocated. That people had been walking around that tree for for so long, the tree was already 200 years old before the storm came through. And after all that time, the the soil had been pushed down and pressed down, and those those roots were suffocating. That's kind of what I'm picking up on this. But that storm, it it pulled that tree out. It, It freed up those roots, and all of a sudden, the tree could come to life again. So, let me ask you a question. Do you feel like your roots are suffocating? Do you feel like that there's enough stress and worry and fear and anger and frustration and anxiety or pride or arrogance or immorality in your life that you just feel like you're suffocating, that you're feeling pressed down and compacted like you just can't breathe? If so, please don't wait for the storm. Hear God's word today. Let God's word shake your roots and bring life again. God, by his own design, has made the Bible the type of book that has the kind of truth that brings spiritual oxygen and living water back to our thirsty souls. In other words, God has designed the truths of the Bible to keep planting us by streams of water. But not so the wicked. The wicked are not planted by by streams of water. So so what happens to them? The psalmist tells us next part of verse 4. But they are like chaff which the wind drives away. What is chaff? Somebody described it using peanuts. How many of you have ever been to a restaurant where they give you a little basket of peanuts there at the table when you first get there? You know, you sit down, you start eating the peanuts, and you break open the shell, you eat the nut, and then most everybody does what? Throws the shells on the floor. You might be like me, I just can't do it. I, I got no litter bug in me. You know, I got I to do my little pile, and I got to figure a way to clean it up myself, you know. But most people, if, if you enjoy the freedom of tossing that on the ground, well, what happens to your shells later on? Well, they get stepped on. They get stomped on. As the day goes on, those those peanut shells, they shrivel up, they become broken up, and they they turn into dust. And and then the wait staff or the custodians, they have to come and sweep all up and throw it out at the end of the night. That's a picture of what it means to die without Christ, to be blown away like a used shell. That's not my opinion as some mean and tolerant Baptist. That is the message of Jesus the Christ. The same Jesus that loved children. The same Jesus that respected women. The same Jesus that showed dignity and mercy to prostitutes. The same Jesus that through his hands and his words 
healed people. He, he made the, the blind to see and the lame to walk and the deaf to hear and even raised the dead. That same Jesus said there's only two ways to live, either with him or without him. There are no other options. One day Jesus was up on a mountain teaching, and this is what he said, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. He goes on. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Not everyone will enter the kingdom of God. Not so. Now, Jesus doesn't say that they will depart and be annihilated and and just cease to exist. No, as someone has put it, everyone in the universe, past, present, and future, will live forever. They will either live forever as a friend of God or as an enemy of God. And being an enemy of God doesn't sound wise or hopeful. Antonio Guterres is the Secretary General of the United Nations this past week at the World Economic Forum. He said this, I would use two words to describe the state of the world today, uncertainty and instability. There is nothing more uncertain, nothing more unstable than being like chaff that the wind blows away. Nothing more unstable than that. That is God's honest truth for those who are not right with him. According to Jesus, uncertainty and instability are the only true possessions of someone who is not right with God. When the psalmist says not so, the indication is one of uncertainty. It's one of insecurity. It's one of instability. Why? Because of the comparison. Because see, the the person who is right with God is delighting in the truth of God. They're delighting in God's Word, so they're, they're like a, plea, tr- a tree planted by water. They are stable. They are secure. Now, someone might say, but hey, even Turner's Oak got pulled up. Come on. You're right. It did get pulled up. And then it got set back down in the ground, and its roots came alive, and the tree started to flourish. Listen, we're all going to have moments from time to time where we might lose our minds. We might be getting pulled up by our roots in some situation in life. And, and we might sound like people who are not delighting in God's Word, who don't have confidence in God. But those should be moments, not manifestos. Most of our life should look and sound like a person who has faith in God. Most of our life, because we're delighting in God's Word, It should look like and sound like and and act like we think that God rules and he reigns and he can't fail and he will prevail. See, that's what delighting in God's word will do. It keeps us planted. It feeds our roots. It all happens from God's word. 
If we aren't delighting in his word, though, we'll get blown away. You'll get blown away before you leave the parking lot today. Serious. This can happen to any of us. We can come into this room. We can worship God. We can hear great prayers and great music. We can hear an average sermon. And and then we can leave and get in our car. And we can pull up our foot. How about, let's forget the parking lot. In the hall. You can walk out in this hall. Bring up social media and immediately get blown away right after you leave church. The power of the prince of darkness is is pretty strong. And what he loves more than anything is to tell us, stop delighting in the truth of God. Be afraid. Be angry. Be worried about anything in the world. Oh, but don't be confident. Don't be confident in God. If we aren't delighting in his word, we'll get blown away by every social media post, by every news update, by every health scare. Now, look, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be current with news. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be diligent with our health. It it just means that we should not be like the wicked, blowing away with every wind of fear or worry or anger or frustration or stress or anxiety. We'll have moments, but it shouldn't be who we are. Not if we're in Christ. Now, will storms come? You bet. Will they pull us out of the ground sometimes? Absolutely. But because we're in Christ, we get to remind our souls, soul, never alone is the least of his children. That can't change. So when the storm comes, when we're pulled up, we can still preach the gospel to ourselves. We can still sing the gospel to ourselves. We can still pray the gospel to ourselves. We have faith in God because he watches over his own. Even if his watch means that he takes us home to be with him forever. That's one way he can watch over us. But not so the wicked. The wicked do not have the certainty and the security and the stability of God's care over their lives. The psalmist says, not so. So who are the wicked? Well, I think most of us, when we hear the wicked, we go, oh, there's some crazy terrorists on the other side of the world. They're wicked. And it's true. I, I do think that the psalmist is, is referencing people who are hostile toward God and hostile toward God's ways. But the word wicked can also be translated as transgressors. And the King James Version of the Bible translates wicked as ungodly. Now, why do those synonyms matter? Listen again to what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Charles Spurgeon said this, many people imagine that if they do not commit positive sin, they're all right. So what's positive sin? It's not your sin. No, 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 no. Not your sin. It's just the kind of sin you see on TV at night. You know, just, just on the news, not, not your sin. It's not your sin. It's, it's just the kind of sin for those people in Vegas you know, or, or some other city. You know, the kind of sin that stays there, but the consequences never go anywhere else. You know, it's, just, it's just that sin. It's, it's not your sin. I'm being sarcastic. Spurgeon goes on to describe how a person like that might think. I don't fight against God. 
I'm no enemy to Christ. I do not persecute his people. In fact, I even love his ministers. I love to go up and hear the word preached. I should not be happy if I spent my Sunday anywhere but in God's house. And then Spurgeon says what they start thinking when they hear the psalmist say, not so. Their thoughts change. But still, that must mean me. For I do not go up to the help of the Lord against the mighty. I do nothing. I am an idle do-nothing. I am a fruitless tree. But then he gets a little softer, softens it up a bit. You occupy a seat. You have had it these years. How do you know but that you have been occupying a seat which might have been the place where some other sinner would have been converted had he been there? It is true you sit and hear the sermon, yes, but what of that if that sermon shall add to your condemnation? Much softer, right? (laughs) So what does all that mean? Let me just simplify it this way. It means when you're reading the Bible or when you're sitting in a Bible study or when you're in a Sunday school class or when you're listening to a sermon, do not listen for your spouse. Do not listen for your kids. Do not listen for your jerk boss. Do not listen for your difficult teacher. Do not listen for your immoral politician. Whoever it is, don't listen just for other people. First and most, listen for you. When you hear the Word of God read or you're reading it yourself or you're listening to it on a Bible app as you're riding down the road or you're listening to a teacher or a preacher, when you hear God's Word, you take it to you. You own it. You say, what does this have to do with me? Or as I heard it this week, we need to learn to maybe be a little more legalistic with ourselves and a little more merciful toward others. Because that's not how it usually is, right? No. No, we are quick to be legalistic with other people. We want our pastor and our politicians We want our doctors and our nurses. We want our parents, our spouse, our kids, our boss, our fellow. We want everybody else to do the right thing. And if they don't, we are quick to hold a legalistic stroke over their head. But oh, when we sin, when we fall out, whoo, man, we get that blank of mercy fast around us. Maybe we need to be a little more legalistic when we hear God's word for us and show a little more mercy to others. Here's a question. What if that were happening in our nation's capital today? What if when men and women in in positions of power or men and women sitting in the pew of the church hear God's word, they say, woe is me, a sinner. God, help me. How would that change? What difference would that make in the church and in the world? So, in the midst of all of this heavy stuff, in the midst of the wickedness, in the midst of of the wicked being blown away like dust, like chaff, is there any good news? Yes, there is. If you are not a Christian, 
there is amazing news from the gospel for you. You don't have to be blown away like chaff. You don't have to be blown away like dust. Jesus Christ has given himself. He was crucified, buried, and resurrected so that you could be rescued from sin. So that you could no longer be chaff, but that you could be a child of God. There's great hope. Repent today. Turn to Jesus so that your soul can find the hope that lasts forever. And if you're a Christian, then then here's the hope in all of this. Have faith in God. Come on, Dal. A little more than that. I, I got nothing else for you. I know it's overly simplistic, but seriously, have faith in God. That when we hear not so, when we hear the, the wicked are not so, we go, oh, wait, I, need, I need to have faith in God because he, he's always changing my story. I was reading an article this week by Tony Reinke, and he shared the following quote from John Piper from 38 years ago. What I have learned about 20 years of serious reading is this. It is sentences that change my life, not books. If you're a bad reader, this is huge encouragement for you. you know? Just get one sentence and you're fine, all right? What changes my life is some new glimpse of truth, some powerful challenge, some resolution to a long-standing dilemma. And these usually come concentrated in a sentence or two. I do not remember 99% of what I read, but if the 1% of each book or article I do remember is a life-changing insight, then I don't begrudge the 99%. Can I just say this is my experience in life too. It's usually the one sentence, and you just can't shake it. So Tony took that and he applied it to his own life and began looking and remembering back to when their first child was born. And he said he was sitting in the hospital and, and sitting by his wife's bed. He's holding his, his wife's hand in one hand and then he's holding a book in the other hand. And the book he has in the other hand was a book by Octavius Winslow and the title is, is called The Precious Things of God. And just a reminder, if I ever say anything like this, go to my sermon notes uh, on the website and I'll usually have a link to the book or to the article and, and this week, this book you can read online too. So there's several links there. So he's reading from this book and, and what he described it as is the page that changed my life. And this is what he said. This is him quoting Octavius Winslow, what he had, had in the book. Thank God for the least degree of faith, though it be less than the grain of a mustard seed, for the smallest measure will conduct you fully into heaven. And yet forget not that there is no difficulty that faith in God, however small, cannot surmount. No mountain it cannot level. No tree it cannot uproot. Simply because it deals with the power of of God. Dear Christian, be of good cheer. We are dealing with the power of God, of Yahweh. And that power, that faith that we have in that God, even just the smallest kernel of true faith in Jesus Christ has great power. It has the power to keep us from foolishly entertaining sin. It has the power to rescue us from paralyzing discouragement. 
Oh, please don't miss that. It has the power. That, that little true grain of faith has the power to conduct us to heaven. The psalmist gives us two words. Two words that we cannot ignore. Two words that, that define your, your life today and, and may define your eternity. And those two words are not so. Listen, don't let those two words define you. Here's why. Because the gospel, the gospel has two words too. The gospel has two words to give us that will change your life today and will give you hope for your eternity that cannot be removed and cannot fail. So what are those two words? What are those two words screaming from the throne of heaven? What are those two words screaming from the power of the cross? What are those two words screaming from the authority of the empty tomb? Those two words are simply this. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. 